pastors in the church uh, to instruct them on how to order the church and to instruct them on how to raise up other leaders. And so today, as we're looking at the idea of leadership in the church, and uh, Pastor Nick brings us a message regarding that, uh, it is fitting that we read the qualifications for those in the positions of uh, office or positions of authority within the church. And we find that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, and then also in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Will you stand together with me for the reading of God's word? This is 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop or overseer, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I appointed you, or commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable a lover of that which is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God merciful to us, sufficiently so that you have appointed officers within your church to under-shepherd your work within the church. We pray that now as we hear from Pastor Nick the uh, issues regarding officers, and we pray that you would give us conviction, that you would raise up men to serve in these capacities. And Father, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, minds that are transformed by your word. 
For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Don Weaver asked me uh, what passage in Mark that I'll be preaching through this week. He's gotten pretty used to that. And I like that personally, that we are consistently going through books of the Bible and learning what God would have us to learn every week and me not to go through different hobby horses. But that's not to say that from time to time, it's not necessary to look at what God's word says about a particular topic and something that we are always, the church of Jesus Christ is always in need of, is godly leadership. Godly elders who govern the spiritual church, the spiritual needs rather, of the church of Jesus Christ, and godly deacons who are entrusted with the money, so I hope that they're trustworthy, entrusting in, with the physical needs of God's people. This is so important to be looking at. And I don't know about you guys, but when you're reading that list, a D.A. Carson quote comes to mind that's particularly pertinent. He says that the list is remarkable for being unremarkable. In other words, there's nothing about superior IQ, charisma, powerful personality, or the like. The Christian minister, or I would argue any elder, is supposed to be gentle, not supposed to get drunk, and so forth. The list is remarkable for being unremarkable. Indeed, only with a couple of exceptions. All the qualifications listed here and elsewhere in the New Testament are demanded of all Christians. Isn't that kind of striking? If we're going to think about church leadership, we think about aptitude, skilled, someone who can maybe attract a personality that can attract people to themselves. But this is not the type of leadership that we're commanded to look to in the church of Jesus Christ. Instead, what we're told to look at is someone who has a particular aim with a particular goal and a particular focus or really task at hand. And that's what we're going to look at today. And at the back, where the fill in the blank outline is, I'm actually going to be going in reverse order of it. The last point will be first, the second point will be second still, and the first one will be last. And I think it's really important because even though the structure of the text might indicate that we look at the task, then the goal, then the aim, I think it's helpful to start off with what's the aim of godly leadership which God puts in? What task are they given and to what end are godly leaders supposed to be directing God's people? And as you're listening to this, we just read the qualifications for elders. And not all of you are going to be elders, and not everyone should be an elder. So I'd like to encourage you. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17. Acts chapter 20, verse, starting at verse 17. As I read this, really what we're going to be seeing is Paul being the example, the model of what he told people what the qualifications were to be in Timothy. You see, when Timothy when he gave and wrote to Timothy, who was ministering in Ephesus, he had this list of qualifications 
that really set a high character standard for what God's leaders are to look like and what they are to be. But Paul was not a hypocrite. Paul modeled for Timothy what that should look like. And for all the Ephesian elders, they knew what a godly leader should look like because they had Paul. And in Acts chapter 20, when we're reading this, what we're reading is Paul's final speech to the Ephesian elders. And we see all the qualities that we just read of in 1 Timothy in our text this morning. And what I want you to look at while we're reading this vision of what this looks like, what the qualifications look like in action, I want you to look for things that you should expect of elders in your church. What sorts of things that you should expect in people who are going to be leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. I want you to encourage your elders and your deacons in the task that God has given them to be faithful to it. I want you to be asking yourselves, am I elder material? Do I have what it takes to become an elder in Jesus Christ's church? And we'll talk about what it means if you feel like you fall short of that standard. You're probably reading the list pretty close enough if you understand that. And also, I want you to be thinking about the care that you, needs to, that you need to take to be careful who you nominate, and even more importantly, who you vote to say that this man or this man, so used to saying man or woman, this man, is this godly man someone who should be leading the church of Jesus Christ? Because I'll just go ahead and let you know, it's a lot easier to put someone in than it is to take someone out. And we have to be really careful about this because we're warned in our text that wolves come not just from without, but also from within. With that in mind, let's read God's holy and errant word. Now, from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders to come uh, of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the, my course the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among, uh, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our God, and that when Jesus left this earth, he did not leave us alone, but he sent his Holy Spirit to be a comforter, another comforter for your people. And you did not leave us alone, but you put us into a community of believers, a fellowship where we are to grow and be nourished, not just living our own lives as individuals trying to wander through this world, but you put us in a community that is to be ruled by under shepherds who are to feed us and to protect us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand this more clearly especially for the sake of your church, as we seek to see who among us would be good candidates for ministry. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. See, the regional thing that drew me to this text when looking at spiritual leadership is something that you get to see in Paul's character. What we see in Paul is a man who loved the people of God whose heart broke for them, who displayed the hospitality, the gentleness, the good faith, the sound doctrine, all the things that he had called Timothy to do, he modeled for him. And what we see in particular in Paul's ministries, we see a particular aim, and that's that first blank there. He sees a particular aim to exalt others, the aim of spiritual leadership to exalt others. Now, the others here are twofold. First, Paul's aim of who he's seeking to exalt is God himself. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5 says that I have become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ that, or rather, I can actually read the quote. That's why I write them down. 2 Corinthians 4 5 says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord, 
and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We see that the needs that Paul is focusing on is, yes, he's focused on the care and concern of this group of people. He wants to see them grow in the truth. He wants to see them not be deceived. His aim, though, ultimately, at the high point, is the glory of Jesus Christ. He is their servants, but he's their servants for the glory of Jesus Christ. And what he is worried about is something actually, 1 Timothy tells us, actually happened in the Ephesian church. It's because there were shepherds who were in Ephesus who were trying to direct people not to be servants of the people for Jesus' sake, but their aim was instead seeking themselves, their own enrichment. Which is why Paul, when he's talking to them, it seems like he's just switching subjects in verse 33 when he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold apparel. He worked with his own hands, supporting his own needs. His point is what he's trying to say is that the type of elder that Paul is, the type of spiritual leader that he is, is one who is a servant, a servant of all. If we were to look at a maybe a particular aspect of what does a servant leader look like? I kind of gave it away there. A spiritual leader, one who's going to care for the spiritual needs of God's people to serve God's glory needs to be a servant. Isn't this what Jesus himself demonstrated to his apostles? When before the Lord's Supper, he washed their feet in John chapter 13. He washed their feet not to establish a regular pattern of foot washing ceremonies. No, he was demonstrating what a leader in the church of Jesus Christ was to look like. He said, if a master, the servants are not above his master, and if the master washes the feet of the disciples, you likewise need to do the same. Think that this focus that Paul has on money is actually a really helpful insight something common to all false leaders. It's, it's amazing how rich people get off of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I can't tell you a specific line of how much money you can make as a minister and cross that line and all of a sudden you're a false teacher. But the point is what Paul says is not that a workman's not worthy of his wages. Otherwise, that would exclude me from being able to focus on God's word and preach it and bring it to you today. But the point is, is that the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ cannot be doing this for themselves, to serve their own needs, to financially benefit themselves. When we nominate, when you're thinking about who should be an elder in the Lord Jesus Christ church, don't be thinking about who you need to be flattering, someone that you want to maybe by nominating them or saying that this man looks seems qualified to me, that this is something that can maybe boost their ego. I want to encourage them. No, what you're looking for is a qualified person who can be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing, the aim. And really the aim here could, if I had structured, I have a little bit more of alliteration going on in my, my outline now. Really, the aim 
of spiritual leadership is the advance of the kingdom of God. The aim of spiritual leadership is the advance of the kingdom of God. Whether that's done through elders who are caring for the spiritual needs of the people, look to Exodus chapter 18, starting at verse 13, to see the institution of the office of elder in the uh, selecting from among them wise, godly men who could discern the truth from error and to judge between what is right and what is wrong. Or in Acts chapter 6 with the office of deacon, when they saw that there was lacking physical needs amongst the people. And the elders said, it would be better for us to focus on preaching and prayer and to let others be devoted to focusing on the physical needs, particularly how the money is going to be distributed to those who are in need of the church of Jesus Christ. But either way, godly character that is talked about in 1 Timothy is so necessary because either way, both ends of spiritual leadership are about advancing the kingdom of God. And I would be remiss if I missed verse 28, where Paul says that the church of God, that these overseers are to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. The church of God obtained this people with his own blood. You know, the father never became incarnate. The father does not have a body and does not have blood. The spirit does not have a body and does not have blood. Who is the church of God? Who is Paul calling God here? He's calling the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the cross to purchase a people for himself. That's who he is calling here God. That's why all our praises, all our focus is on lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ, exalting his name. And when we serve others, it's towards that end, to exalt the name of Christ. Spiritual leadership is aimed at exalting others, particularly for the goal of advancing the kingdom of God. But when we look at this, Paul has a particular object in mind, a particular goal in mind. And the goal of spiritual leadership that he has set up in Ephesus is to guard. The goal of spiritual leadership is to guard. And now really I'm focusing on the office of elder as the spiritual leadership of the church of Jesus Christ. And it might be, actually, I'll just read it for us. First Peter chapter 5, we see something really interesting. The first four verses, I'll read it for you. You can turn there if you'd like to follow along. First Peter 5 says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glories that are going to be revealed. Now, this is Peter, an apostle, speaking to the elders that, he, that are scattered abroad, and he says, I'm a fellow elder, and he tells them their goal is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, we see that theme coming up again, 
but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive your uncrowning, uh, an unfeigning crown of glory. You see, in the church of Jesus Christ, there's only these two offices, elder and deacon, and that's it. And the thing that seems to be in common here, at least the way Peter is instructing the elders, is he's saying that we're all sheep. All of God's people are sheep. But God has appointed some sheep to care for spiritual needs of the body of Christ and other sheep to care for the physical needs of Jesus Christ, elder and deacon. But all are sheep. In the, in the church of Jesus Christ, there's no hierarchical structure that me as a pastor, I need my heart shepherded by the Lord Jesus Christ. And by being in this role and in teaching God's word, my role is to give you what the shepherd would have you to feed on, what the shepherd would have you to be guarded and protected from, the truths of God's word. And the only authority that I have as an elder, is one that's ministerial or service-related or declarative, declaring what God's word has said. But no elder has the role of a legislator writing up new laws, writing up new doctrines that the church of Jesus Christ is to follow. The only thing that I can do as an elder is give you the word of God, teach it to you with diligence, And with a particular end, you see all three of these words, the pastor, the shepherd, elder, overseer, that's used in 1 Peter chapter 5, those are three historic names for the same class of people. He calls this group of people elders in reference to their maturity in the faith. In Exodus chapter 18, and actually throughout the world, people have recognized that there's wisdom that comes with old age. Hence, we have, we use in American context, we have senators or seniors, elders who are supposed to, by their age, accrue wisdom and hopefully from that to be able to lead well. And lest that would exclude me, which I'm okay if God's word excludes me because I'm not an old, an elder from leading God's church, but Fortunately, we have the example of 1 Timothy, where Paul said, do not let anyone despise your youth. The type of maturity that when we're called elders, or really where we get our name of our denomination from, presbyteros, or presbyterians, here's the word for elder. Presbyterian-led means that we are led by spiritual leaders who are mature in the faith. And sometimes that goes with old age, and it should go if we're faithful Christians growing, but that's not always the case. It doesn't always happen that as you get older that you mature in your faith. Sometimes the only thing that you learn from your experience is learn bitterness. You learn the wrong examples from life. We need to make sure that as we're going through life and as we're aging, that we are getting the right examples, that we're seeking maturity in the faith. The other word he uses is overseer. 
or really, actually, I'll go with shepherd first. The shepherd, that's the word that we get pastor from, someone who's guarding the flock. And if you think about Psalm 23, a shepherd has two items in his hands. He has a staff and he has a rod. The staff is used to guide to green grass and to buy still waters for nourishment and also with a rod to beat back the wolves. So pastors, I'm, I'm, I like the title of Pastor Nick. I'm completely content with that. Maybe Pastor Krause might, would, might give me the elder-like quality, but we'll just go with Pastor Nick. And then that last one, overseer or oversight, exercising oversight, is where we get the word Episcopalians. It's the word for someone who's watching over and guiding. And I think that's really what we're seeing when we get at Acts chapter 20. What we're seeing in Paul's life, he is exercising oversight over them. Look at verse 20 and verse 27. He says at both times that he did not shrink back from declaring to them anything that was profitable. And then verse 27, he did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. When he gets to verse 28, he says, pay ten careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. The goal here that he's instructing these overseers is to be guardians. And they have two source of potential dangers. Wolves coming from without. And those would be people that we can constantly think about, whether it's the Roman Catholic Church or it's the Mormon church, or it's the Jehovah Witnesses, you name the cult, there's lots of enemies that come from without, or even atheism, for that matter. But the particular danger that, danger that these Ephesian elders need to be listening to is the wolves that come from a, in among you, not sparing the flock. Imagine being one of these elders that Paul is talking to here. He's telling them, be careful, watch over yourselves and watch over the flock because wolves will be coming in from among you. This is why doctrine is so important for every church member. We don't want you submitting to wolves. If you submit to wolves, you end up getting eaten, a wolf in sheep's clothing. You need to be careful. Study God's word See what is true. Encourage people to teach God's word faithfully. And that leads us to our last point, that spiritual leadership, their task is to teach. Their task is to teach. This is how God's leadership, spiritual leadership in the church, how they guard. This is how they guard in feeding them, in nourishing them, and also how they guard in protection from wolves. It's teaching Just look at how many times he says this. He says he taught, in verse 20, everything that was profitable, teaching you both in public and from house to house. This spiritual oversight that Paul is talking about in responsibility of elders is not something that is is restricted to Sunday mornings. Yes, they should be watching me to make sure that I'm not preaching heresy. They should be coming up to me and encouraging me to teach clear as they have done and to teach better as they have done. And also anywhere where there's disagreement to approach me. 
And everyone in this room should do that where they think that I might be teaching and feeding you something that's not God's word. But teaching is so important. And this teaching is not just restricted to public events, but also to private. Encourage your elders to investigate your lives, not just what you believe in teaching and doctrine, but also your spiritual growth, your spiritual direction in life. Because we all get sidetracked. We all get deceived and we all kind of end up in moments in our life where, you know, we don't want authority over us. We don't want people getting in our business. But the only reason why the church of Jesus Christ should get involved in our business is because that's the task that God has given them. So as church members, we need to invite people to inspect our lives, invite people to be able to admonish us without running away. And also to help encourage elders to be faithful to admonish us, to inspect our lives, to ask us about how we're doing when when we don't. And guess what? We will all confess that we have fallen short of what Paul has called us to. He calls us to teach from house to house. Verse 21, of repentance towards God and a faith of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. Verse 24, to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Verse 27, that Paul declared to them the whole counsel of God. What the pastor and what really pastors, the elders of the church, the spiritual leadership are instructed to do is to teach all of God's word and especially the gospel. And you know what? All of God's word gives us a perspective and an insight into the person and work of Jesus Christ. So those two tasks are not at conflict with one another, but they're in harmony. And when we see that the task of the pastors of a church is to teach, what we see is this is how influential and how this helps and marries to their other task of guarding. That's why he says in verse 26, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because he declared the whole counsel of God's word. You see, he picked up the language of Ezekiel chapter 33 when he talks about the pastors as watchmen looking out over the lives of the people, warning them of danger and warning them of danger that is fast approaching. That's the goal. That's the task that a pastor has and what all pastors have. And if you've noticed, I haven't really distinguished between my office as preaching and the office of shepherding because these are one and the same. What Paul did whenever he went into a town, Acts chapter 14, verse 23 illustrates this, is he went into a town, he evangelized the people, and among those converts, they elected some to be elders. And it was always a plurality. I am so thankful that I am a Presbyterian. If anything, just for the practicality of it, that I do not have to have all the spiritual gifts. I don't have to have all the spiritual talents. But instead, Robert, Steve, and Anthony, and I can have a diversity of gifts. I'm an elder who preaches. I'm an elder who focuses on God's word. It's funny, though, 
to say that because oftentimes if you were to look at ruling elders and teaching elders, if we look at the history of the church, the ones that tend to get into heresy the most are not the ruling elders. They're the teaching elders. There's something about this warning about seeking your own money, this, about being in front of people that attracts undue attention, that boosts ego, and gets it into people's minds that this is Pastor Nick's church. If people come up to me and ask about the church, they'll say, hey, how is your church doing? I'll just let you know, dear friends, that Evergreen is not the church of Nick Krause. And I hope to God that it never will be. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the elders of that church are entrusted with the task of guarding the teaching of it and inspecting the lives of the people. Where do we come to? Well, I think one thing that really gets us to look at is, yes, every church member is called to this level of holiness, to live a devout and exemplary life, to have your mind well stored with truths of the gospel, truths that come from God's word. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says that everyone needs to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. So why are these qualities of godliness in 1 Timothy and Titus 1 so important? Think about where eyes, the eyes draw to. You know what's not true of every church member? What's not true is the eyes of hundreds of people looking at you. That's not true of every church member, nor should it be. Our brothers and sisters with a task, the reason why godliness is such a premium is because our brothers and sisters in Christ will naturally look up to elders, those who are mature in the faith. They look up to elders for advice, for instruction, for aid in the spiritual life, and to be a shining example to the flock. When you're thinking about who can be an elder, who should be an elder? Who do you go to for advice? Who do you go to for spiritual instruction? That is a mark of an elder. And if when Steve was reading those qualities, you thought yourself, you know, I thought I had a calling to be an elder, but that seems like too high of a calling. Seems like the level of godliness which Paul calls to, and even Paul himself, seems to be a standard that I don't reach. Well, let me tell you something, that the fact that you recognize that is an example of something that you are actually more sensitive to your sin. If you're humble about your sin, confessing your sin, and pursuing Christ, and if what defines you is not your sin, but the direction of your life, maturing in the faith, do not be deterred. Don't be deterred because that's exactly what the gospel is. Those who are more mature are not those who are sinless. It's those who have grown in their faith and who lead others in growing in their faith. And I think the thing that drew me to this most, something that is applicable to us all, is look at the love 
that Paul has for the church and that they love him. Those who are serving, those who work hard to set up every week, who are caring for the physical needs, caring for the financial situation, the deacons, love them. Show that you appreciate them and that you care for them. Encourage them to do their faith, their job well with honesty and dignity and to not use it for a means of their financial gain. And those who are elders who put the weight of having eyes on them, examining their life, seeing their faults and failures, having the really uncomfortable job about confronting people with their sin and examining them and having to teach doctrine, encourage them in that task, love them. That's what we have in Paul. And I think that's the, one of the best witnesses that we can have to spiritual leadership. One that loves God and loves his church and where the people sense and feel that love and respond in loving them. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word that doesn't just tell us a list of the qualifications, but gives us a picture of what that looks like. A picture of a man who loves your church, who's made it his life aim, who's made it his, counted his own life, not of any precious value to himself, but his only aim in life is to advance the kingdom of God and to sacrifice everything in that task. Lord, I pray that you would encourage those, those who are willing, those who would like to sacrifice their life to the task of advancing the kingdom of God, specifically by teaching and guarding the truth. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that people would come up to them and be an encouragement to them, that they would be faithful to your word and not shrink back from the task that you've given them. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be deceived. Pray that all the members of your church can be advancing and growing in all these areas. And that the church of Jesus Christ would be like a hospital, directing everyone heavenward, going before them, shepherding their souls, shepherding by guarding from wolves and guarding and leading them into paths of righteousness. Heavenly Father, we need your Holy Spirit for all these tasks. No one person is fully equipped in all these areas. So, Lord, we thank you that you've blessed us with a plurality of elders, with a variety of giftings, where we complement one another. And I pray that you would continue to bless, bless Evergreen, bless us with a plurality of elders and deacons who would serve you and contribute with their gifts and their calling in life to assist your work. Lord, we love you and we praise your holy name. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me, we are going to respond by singing God's praises.